Coming up next, the bookening reads Rebecca. Welcome to the bookening. We're reading Rebecca, or we've read Rebecca. We're going to talk about Rebecca. All thanks to the Patreon book suggestion plan. But I'll tell you what my plan is for today. My plan is to introduce the people that I podcast with. Uh, now, me, I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient host. And right there, right to my right, you've got Brandon Chastine. Hey, looking more dignified and more salt and peppery in his hair every day. Thank you, Nathan. As he ages into a decrepit, sad, and utterly irrelevant old man. Wow. With great salt and pepper hair. Yeah. You're you're looking <laughs> older too. Well, actually, you're looking more and more like like a disheveled wild-haired genius. <laughs> What can I say? <laughs> don't you think he's got that? To do. Don't you think he's got that look going on for him? Yeah. He he who Definitely. shall not be named. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, it's it has to do with the fact that I haven't made it to the barber for a long time, and that my genius levels have been amping up yeah. to maximum capacity. And the fact, probably the fact, mostly has to do with the fact that I haven't taken a shower today. Uh, my wife really likes my hair to be unkempt and all over the place. Like she, she digs that look. I don't know how, the, I'm not sure the rest of the world agrees with her, but <laughs> she, hey, she's man. always like, nah, nah, I don't go to the barber. Let it grow. Let it, let it do its thing. She wants know. you to kind of have that wild look, huh? Yeah. She kind of likes mm. it. She kind of likes it. I'd be telling a lie if I. Wild and un- otherwise. wild and untamed, Nathan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she doesn't want what's the opposite of wild. She doesn't want calm and tamed, Nathan. That's no fun. She wants, she wants to, wild. She wants to imagine she has the hero of some gothic romance in her life. Yeah. Well, we do have a lesbian housekeeper that's always skulking around and telling her what she can and can't can't do. You guys did just so. buy a yacht. We did just buy a yacht, yeah. <laughs> Man, have we read a more LGBT-coded uh, book than this one? My Antonia. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Asked and answered. Well, in any case, that Mrs. Danvers, she's she's something else, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yep. She's, she, 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 she deserves to be in the Monster Squad, probably. So do I. Yeah, for something you just sent, but we can't read it out loud, so. (laughs) Ah, yeah, folks. That's pretty funny. And and viciously cruel. And. Ow. We're the one that said the cruel thing. (laughs) I guess you're right. (laughs) It's it's not cruel to. 
I, there's no way that I can read that out loud, folks. But and I, I don't do this often. But in this particular case, I will tantalize you <laughs> with the piece of our friendship that you will never get to share in. <laughs> ha 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 ha! Losers. Yeah. <laughs> You're. <laughs> Uh, listen, two thousand dollars a month, and you can be a part of our friend texting thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, for two thousand dollars a month. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you're in our private Slack channel, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can you can hear the slightly cruel and not appropriate for the podcast texts that we send to each other. Yeah. <sighs> Just don't cry if they're about you. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> check out this loser sending us two thousand dollars a month for this. Listen, we have still haven't introduced the the cruel reprobate himself. Why don't you do that, Brandon? And just for the tally book, Brandon's not irrelevant. He's not decrepit. <laughs> he does have nice salt and pepper yeah, in his hair. Saltier and peppier. Well, saltier than uh, <laughs> and peppier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brandon well, is salt nothing if not known for his pep. <laughs> yeah, that's how everybody defines me. Mr. Salty Pep. and peppy. <laughs> salty and peppy. So that was to go on a dating game. He's known as being salty and peppy. <laughs> yeah. Well, who would be salty on this podcast and who would be peppy and what would the third category I be? I think for the you other would person? be peppy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, got, I mean, that's kind of my the job. I, I, I think I bring, bring the, the salt. So I don't know okay. what I bring. What one needs to go with salt and pep? Food? Food. I'm the I'm <laughs> substance. <food>. I'm the <laughs> substance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something worth adding spice to. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good metaphor. That's a pretty good metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. Salt, you still haven't... No, no, no. I'm sorry. Mr. Food. Mr. Substance. Yeah, you're Mr. Substance. There we go. Mr. Sub. Mr. Sub. So, I'm Mr. Salt. No, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Jake's Mr. Salt. I'm Mr. Pep. You're Mr. Sub. But you okay. still need to introduce you're Mr. Like Salt. you Steve in Blue's Clues. I'm... Yeah, yeah. I, I left for twenty years, and now I'm making a publicity tour again for some reason, and everyone cares, and it's beyond the world. Me is he why. is he doing that really? He he did a little like Mister Rogers PSA thing on uh, Nickelodeon, okay. Nickelodeon's like Twitter or something like that, and everybody mm -hmm. cried. Oh. And I watched it to see why everybody cried. It was sweet. Did you did you cry? I mean. I, f I felt that sort of like this guy was Mr. Rogers sort of equivalent for a different generation. and Yeah, he was. I mean, we didn't grow I, up with Blue's Clues, right? My, uh, my, my little brothers did. And yeah, so right. I, I, I sort of felt like, well, I can, I can definitely see a couple of my younger brothers watching this and crying. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was sweet. It was, wow, 1996. So we were... Only 11. That was the launch of the show or when the launch. Steve quit? That was the, the launch show of the launched show. launched when we were like 11 or 12. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So a little bit old that for it. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. I never watched Blue's Clues myself, but it was certainly on around the house for my younger brothers, as it sounds like was true of all of us. But we still haven't introduced Mr. Salt himself. <laughs> He's the salt man, the salt meister. That's me, the salt meister. The saltmeister. The, salt the saltiest old. Um, <laughs> can't say any of the words that came to mind. I don't know what's going on. The saltiest For pastor. For $2,000 a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's the pastor who is a master of reading. Not just a, the master of reading. That's true. Beastmaster yeah, that's Funky right. Town himself. Yep. 
Jacob Kyle Mensel. Mensel. The original JK. That's right. Yep. Before just kidding. Before just kidding was even a thing. <laughs> and before rolling. Was ever a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Before Joanne. What is her middle name? Surely we know this between the three of Probably us. Probably Catherine. Probably Catherine. Probably. I still laugh at the story of those students singing rolling, rolling, rolling and making her sad. <laughs> yes, yes. That's an awesome story. <laughs> <laughs> now she's paid to have every one of those students killed. Probably. They probably at least all like Death Eaters. Yeah. She probably wrote them into her book. Oh, don't you, don't you remember? Isn't there no middle name and K uh, is just made up? Isn't that the story? I think that might, that might be true. Certainly somebody that we've read has that true of them. Yes. Well. Confirmed. She has no middle name. She chose K for Kathleen as the second initial of her pen name from her paternal grandmother. Yeah. She calls herself right. Joe. So. <laughs> She's just Joanne Rowling. She's one of those people that have no middle name. Mm-hmm. Can't trust those people. Nope. Speaking of people you can't trust, can you trust Daphne du- du- Murier? How do you say this lady's name? Daphne de Maurier, I think. Daphne, can you trust her to write a good novel? That's what we're going to decide over the course of at least the next two try episodes. To say her, I don't try know. to say her name again. <laughs> Daphne, Daphne, <laughs> Daphne, Daphne de Maurier? Okay. <laughs> Have you never seen the name Daphne before? <laughs> <laughs> I said Daphne. No, you didn't. Daphne. You didn't. You, you, you thought you said Daphne. Daffy, Daffy, Daffy. Yeah, you, one, the one thing you never said was Daphne. You said all sorts. Daff, yeah, Daphne. Did you ever watch Scooby Doo? <laughs> yeah, sure. Velma and Daffy. <laughs> Daffy Duck. Yeah, you got it. Da- Daphne de Maurier. Yeah. Ooh, she was once a young lady with intense bangs. Huh. <laughs> That's what. Well, that's what you find out if you pull up her Wikipedia page. Huh. She is a I don't striking. Know, that is I don't know that there's a single picture of her that isn't intense. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's her brand. Okay. Da- Daphne Du Maurier. I'm looking up other pictures of her here. Oh yeah, all her all her pictures are like she's scowling with genius. Yeah. In some kind of going to have a cigarette dark. hanging out of her mouth. To her scowl, gonna be glaring at you over her shoulder. She's gonna be holding a dog, but not smiling. Right. She'll be furrowing her brow and looking pensively off to the side of the photograph. She, yeah, this lady has some great branding with her photographs. She just, you can tell she knew what she was all about in terms of presenting the world to Daphne de, de, de Murier. Anyway, speaking of Daphne de Murier, Brendan's going to provide some much-needed context on this young lady and <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, her fabulous work, Rebecca. She definitely was young. When she wrote this book, she was 31. There you go. Is that all we need to know? I think that's everything Probably, we need yeah. to know. <laughs> that actually does make a lot of sense in this book. Yeah. Uh, this I, book, I should say, if, it did, if I didn't say it already, this was recommended by one of our patrons who joined at the $100 level. And uh, this lovely uh, patron asked us to read this book. And so this was chosen for us by a fan and excited we were to read this book. And uh, I suppose I, I, I do have a little history with old Daphne de Murier that I'll talk about when we get to uh, Fat Alplane and all that. But yes, we you, are. You have some is... history to talk about? Oh, yeah. 
Well, I mean, I, I knew her work before beforehand. Really? Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. So this is a this is a donor choice or whatever we want to call it. A patron choice. Yeah. So Well, she came from a family that was fairly I mean, that was already kind of involved with the arts. And so her dad was Sir Gerald de Maurier, and he was an actor and also became a manager later in his life. But apparently he acted in some of the plays of Jim Barry, a guy we haven't read yet. Huh. But are we reading him next year? Have we we don't want to say. Uh, well, no, he's, yeah, he's come I, up as someone we should huh. read. I think he comes up every year, and we should. We should. <laughs> and her mom was also an actress. Her name was Muriel. And apparently, later in life, she would want to kind of fight against what she saw as the boring domesticity of her mother mm. and kind of have a socialite's life. And even though she would get married and have some children later on, she would also have dalliances, including some with other women. So, which, surprise, surprise, that comes out in Rebecca fairly clearly. She also was deeply interested in Cornwall, which her family had. She grew up in Cornwall or her family had some relations to the city. And especially, she was obsessed with the sea and obsessed apparently with this old house that was near the sea there and the mystery surrounding that. And most of her stories later on would be cent centered around the same idea. And so, Rebecca is the one that kind of took this and made it um, into a metaphor that everybody at that time really loved in this story. She took the gothic romance and mixed them together in Rebecca. And it was fairly early in her career. It was 1938. The only thing she had written before that, I think, was Jamaica Inn. Okay, yeah. Which, well, the, the thing that was the most successful, Jamaica Inn and Rebecca, they were huge successes and made her wealthy. She actually had... Some other things, I think The Loving Spirit, which she published in 1931, which means that she published that when she was 24. So, she was a writer from a young age. I think she went to finishing school. I don't know if it matters, but she went to finishing school. I can tell you where she went to finishing school. Why not? Let's hear it. The, the people have been on the edge of their seats waiting for this information. Com Campesina, outside Paris in 1923. And if you guys will remember who else went to finishing school in Paris, or at least in France, was uh uh-huh so mm. seems like Something about those parisian finishing schools it seems like having a little bit more money in your family and having an artistic bent in your family and then being sent off to finishing school where you meet mysterious people and already have an imagination that's running wild with you might well it almost seems like maybe uh jane austen was onto something with mansfield park <laughs> <laughs> or no i mean northanger <laughs> abbey sorry northanger abbey right zero zero stars uh, yeah, Jane Austen was totally not onto anything with Mansfield Park. It was, yeah. Man, Brandon, you idiot. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Man, Brandon, you idiot. Yeah. That should, that should be our t-shirt. <laughs> Man, Brandon, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. Man, Brandon, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> One star. <laughs> and uh, apparently at finishing school, she started writing stories and developing her obsession with this village where she had grown up, Cornwall. I don't know if it's a village. I actually have never looked up a picture of you guys. You've never looked up a picture of Jake or Nathan? Well, part. But of, why would uh, he need to? Of you guys. I don't I know. I guess he knows what he looks like. Actually, that would be kind of weird if you looked up pictures. <laughs> I look up pictures yeah. of you guys every day. <laughs> what did those guys look like? <laughs> I devote at least an hour of my day to doing extensive Google searches of both of you. Just an hour? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little offended. I've just yeah, I've that, just scratched the surface. <laughs> Images of Cornwall. Yeah, it's a 
It's a village by the sea, and it's got boats and pretty ah. bluish green water. It looks pretty. There you go. Sounds I had pretty. a teacher named Mrs. Cornwall. I suppose she was pretty by the standards of her husband. And <laughs> <laughs> she. I suppose she was pretty by the standards of her husband. That belongs in a Jane Austen novel right there. Yes. <laughs> that is pretty funny. I remember all the boys were roughhousing in the boys' bathroom. And she walked into the boys' bathroom, and we were like, ah, you can't come in here, Mrs. Cornwall. And she was like, I'm a married woman. You don't have anything I haven't seen. Yikes. That's what, and I don't remember. That's what she said? Yeah. The, 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 and, and none of us felt satisfied by that logic. <laughs> I wonder why. So, yeah, so she grew up on the sea. I don't know where to – I don't even know how to transition back from that. <laughs> Cornwall. Mrs. Cornwall was uh, – yeah, I don't know how to transition back from that either, but Thanks, I just thought Nathan. I'd waste more time. Well, here, you guys want me to read some fun facts at this one bio? <laughs> She's one of those yes. people that when you're trying to find Brandon, would you give us some fun facts about Daphne, Daphne de Maurier? It's, uh, She's one of those when you are trying to read about her. I don't know, man. Fun facts come up? Fun <laughs> facts come up, and so I thought these... Uh, we'll see whether or not fun they were fun. Fun fact about Daphne. Well, one fun right. fact is that after her fame and her... Well, we're, we're going to upvote these, and we'll so, see which yes. one Alf- is Alfred Hitchcock one. turned two of her stories into movies. Three, I thought. Well, maybe three then. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I knew Rebecca and <laughs> fun the Fun maybe facts with One Brandon. star. <laughs> fun, may- fun maybe facts. So, what's the other one, Nathan? Well, I could be wrong about this. Let me double check. No, uh, I, I thought that- You know way too much about this. Well, Rebecca and the birds are both definitely- <laughs> Yeah, and Jamaica Inn. Oh, did he, so, did he do Jamaica Inn? Yeah. I didn't know that. Re- yeah. Rebecca and the Birds, though, that sounds like a... <laughs> That's <laughs> the name of my the band. Sequel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rebecca and the Birds. <laughs> Big round of applause for the birds. No, yeah, Jamaica Inn was a really early Hitchcock that's not as famous, but Rebecca is one of the first really famous ones. Well, Jamaica Inn and Rebecca, the birds. like I said, were the two that made her famous, so at least made her rich. So, Du Maurier was made a dame of the British Empire in 1969, but she told no one about the honor. She left the this ceremony. On brand for her. She exactly. left the ceremony quietly so that members of the press were not alerted. Wow. Do you upvote that? that is- I mean, as a insight into her brand, yeah, but no. Okay. It's not a very it's, fun fact. It, yeah, it's it's kind of feels more like an inevitable fact. So, so far, the best fact is the one that you got wrong about Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> Both Rebecca and Du Maurier's short story, The Birds, were adapted into popular films by Alfred Hitchcock. They don't even mention Jamaica Inn, Nathan. Well, this fun facts dot gov or whatever website you're on it's not very fun it's not yeah it's not very it's probably fun. the fact that nobody cares about <laughs> jamaica in all right keep, keep going give us something else you've yeah. given us two and they're de maurier's de maurier's grandfather created the character sven golly in the book trilby he was also an author <laughs> and cartoonist <laughs> that was a blast i don't even that's know my who's... top fact so uh, who far. Is... i am now going to look up who sven golly was Sven Gali, I actually do know that he's a mesmerist or something like that. His 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 name kind of became a term for someone who exerts kind of control over other people, hypnotic, kind uh, of powers. hypnotic. Yeah, 
Like you'll, you can say somebody has a real face, Svengali complex, or like if you're reading a New Yorker article or something, yeah, you'll, I've you'll seen see that. that. I've seen that around. It's sort of like the kind of thing that eventually Marvel makes into some villain or something like that. The evil Svengali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. kind of along the lines of Fu Manchu or uh, one of those kinds of guys. But yes, yeah, Svengali, you could definitely find his name in like a gk chesterton essay or something like that like he was he was a real touchstone for people back then because trilby was written in the 18th century so fun fact i i, I have that 19th one. century i'm giving it sorry 19th century. I, I do that every time one star zero stars i i meant the 19th century you can't give zero stars yeah but if you could that's true yeah people would be mean Du Maurier is said to have been very aloof toward her two daughters and much more loving toward her son. She once wrote about how much she identified with men and was in touch with her male side. Oh. Yeah. Shocker. Uh, I don't know why that's a fun fact. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> 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 This is the last one. <laughs> okay. De- this better be a fun <laughs> a fact. This one's a blast. Okay. De Maurier's Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> Number Another one. That's all. Hey. Yeah. Are scattered ashes. near her beloved home in Cornwall. Oh. oh. Oh, no. That's not fun at all. Well, I feel like we've learned more about Trilby than we have about. So, yeah. Some fun facts there. So, that's. Anyways. This book she wrote, like I said, when she was 31, and after that, she became fairly successful. Her, film, her movies were adapted into films. Apparently, she wrote a number of plays as well. Appar- apparently, if we want to talk a bit just about her character and her marriage after that, she didn't have the best relationship with her husband. Apparently, it was known as being fairly chilly, and as we just read, she did not have a great relationship with her daughters. She was known as being fairly private and reclusive, but she did appear as a castaway in the BBC radio program Desert Island Discs, and apparently her chosen book, I don't understand what this is. So, apparently they ask you what you would take with you. on it. So, it's like that question, the Desert Island game. Sure, yeah. yeah. And she chose the collected works of Jane Austen and yeah, her so luxury- she's not entirely stupid. Yeah, and her luxury was whiskey and ginger ale. Hey- I'll hang out on an island with Daphne de Mer- yeah. uh, Maurier. <laughs> yeah, good choices. So anyways, other things that... So here's some correspondence with somebody on her sexuality. She says that she... Let me see if I can find the actual source here. This would be... I had it pulled up, but... Oh, well. Anyways, here it might... So the notes here say that she claimed <sighs> to have two distinct... Basically, she had dual personalities. One of them was she was a loving mother, and she showed that side to everyone. But then also, she was a her lover side was male, and that was her male side. And to that one, she hid almost from everyone, but it was where all her artistic energy came from. And she had one biographer who said that this is where her propelled her writing, but also, you know, would lead her into some dalliances, like I said earlier, with some women outside of her marriage. So, do we know that she consummated those relationships? Because I, I, I bet everybody in modern academia really wants her to have and is biased that direction. And I don't doubt it, but I'm just curious how much 
actual evidence there is? I think mostly it is uh, suggestion. So let's see. Yeah. So she has one biographer who was the widower of Richard Aldrich, went into detail of their relationship, but made no mention of a, po- of a same-sex relationship. And so let's see what we can find. I just know that it was re- uh, suggested by a lot of things, but let's see. Yeah, Def- including the, ne- the book that we read. Maurier, lesbian. <laughs> oh, here, first one of the first things that come up is lesbian.com. <laughs> <laughs> a website I never thought we'd reference on the booking. <laughs> yeah. This is from The Independent. Daphne du Maurier was born in 1907, the middle of three daughters. I've got to register. Apparently, her father was lavishly unfaithful, and Daphne was puzzled by her mother's faithfulness. They were an affluent, unstuffy, slightly bohemian family, keen on holidays and socializing, with their own forty and private language, wane for embarrassing, honky for vulgar, wax for making love, and so on. Though, when there were no visitors to perform for Gerald, he would sink into depression. Sounds like a great family that she grew up with. So, De Maurier's, here we go. De Maurier's sexuality is complicated to understand. Let's find where that happens. Go ahead. What do you have? I, 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 so, LGBT Wikia has this, and I quote, After her death, numerous references were made to her alleged lesbianism, an affair with Gertrude Lawrence, as well as her infatuation with the wife of American publisher Ellen Doubleday, recited. She stated in her memoirs that her father had wanted a son, and being a tomboy, she had naturally wished to have been born a boy. However, this is perhaps too simplistic an explanation. Blah, 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 blah. Her father was vociferously homophobic. Weird. Yeah, so here's also something. This is from The Guardian. Du Maurier's sexuality is complicated to understand. The word transgender was not yet in common currency. She didn't think her desire for women made her a lesbian and fought against her Venetian tendencies. Heterosexual sex was known in the family even more exotically as going to Cairo. Sounds like she had the, a wonderful family. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Actually, she felt she was a boy very much in love and stuck in the wrong body. So, yeah, she was, would have fit in perfectly today. At the same time, perhaps pragmatically, perhaps not, she was a woman committed to staying married to her husband. She was by no means the only writer to feel herself two things at once. Many critics claim the same for Ernest Hemingway. Okay. Whoa, Virgin- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's the first I've ever heard of it. Virginia Woolf. Yeah, that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. How, much does du- uh, how much of Du Maurier's sexuality is visible in Rebecca? The narrator repeatedly casts herself as an andro- androgyn. Androgyne, I guess is how you would say that. She offers herself uh-huh. to Maxim as your friend and your companion, a sort of boy. The full heat of her desire is... For Rebecca, she speculates about what her body might have looked like. Yeah, well, that's true. Is this article written by Christina Ricci? Because there's some reach stuff that's pretty Ricci there. Uh, also, there's a bunch of stuff that makes total sense. This is a written by Olivia Lang. Oh. Can you guys hear that? You want to pause for a oh, minute? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the sound of the Google police. The, the, Google po- police. the podcast review police saying... Guys, if I wanted to Google Daphne du Maurier, I could have done it on my own. <laughs> That's true. We just had an interesting question come up that was unresearched. So, so we're just doing the research right now. So it sounds like if I can collate, we, we don't have any definitive proof of an actual lesbian affair. We have a lot of wish 
fulfillment or <laughs> yeah. know, on the part of the LGBT community. And we have a lot of things that were weird and messed up about her sexuality. Yes. From, um, from what which, I... From what I had read beforehand and from what we're doing now actively on the podcast, which I'm sure makes for scintillating listening. <laughs> mm-hmm. You get, well, here's something that you I get to see the Google. sausage being made. Ernest Hemingway's mom used to dress him in little girl's clothes and dress his sister in what's the opposite of little girl's clothes? Boys. Little boy's clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only, uh, so. only if you accept that there are two genders. I, you know, I do. It's a spectrum, Nathan. Yeah, spectrum of two. Yeah. So, guess what? What? Not so long ago, there was the Big Read, a survey of books, where they apparently got over three quarters of a million votes to tell everybody what their favorite British books were of all time. Guess where Rebecca landed on this list? They number they got together. Two. They got two hundred books all together. I'm gonna guess number one or number two. No, not not one of those. Top it's 10? not oh, it's not 102. It got close to the top 10. 11? A little bit less. 12? Plus. <laughs> 13? Plus. How's this for scintillating podcasting? 15. 14? Oh, <laughs> you skipped right over it, Nathan. <laughs> or Jake, it was 14. 14. <laughs> yeah, 14. Yay. So that means, you guys, would this make for scintillating podcasting for you guys to oh, try yeah, and no. guess down. what beat? Get- or you just want yeah, me to guess? You want me to count? No, you're never you going to count. Get... I want you to go from twenty down to her, and then we'll fill in the rest. All right. Well, this makes no sense. Oh, this was books that were received to find the nation's best loved novel of all time, not just British novel. Okay, but oh, okay. their so best loved includes... novels because this is because you're going to find out when I say number twenty why this made no sense to me. Boo. War and Peace. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> the great British novel <laughs> really captures the British experience. You know. War and Peace would make my list of top American novels and yeah, top, I mean, top mine, British novels. Sure, mine too. Sure. Just yeah. credit Javier Vol- Volkonsky with I mean, what in translation and then let's go. This is what you, this is what people get for caring what the public thinks. I mean, so Harry Potter is outside in 22 through 24. The Hobbit is number 25. So, anyway, okay. so we're going to go down now. Captain Corelli's Mandolin is number 19. Oh, boo. What? Little Women is number 18. Little Women Walking Down the Street. Great ex- great Expectations. <sighs> well, I'm glad that didn't place higher, at least. Is number 17. <sighs> but yuck. The Wind in the Willows is number 16. Sure, and right beloved, under... Beloved books, yeah. Yeah, right under Rebecca is The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Mm. Okay, so now let's see how many of one through twelve me and Jake can guess. All right, number thir- uh, number thirteen. You're never guessing, so because I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to <laughs> guess them in order, but I can at least Pride, guess some Pride and Prejudice things. is going to be in. Pride there. and Prejudice is in there. <laughs> it is. You want me to tell you what position it is when you tell me, or do you want to guess top what five. position? It's top five for sure. Number, number one. It is number two. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Yes. What do you think it is? Number one. It is Nine. number one. Ooh, very good. Number one. So you got number one and two. This is like the Family Feud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is exciting. Uh, let's see here. Um, Alice in Wonderland. No, where is Alice in Wonderland? Alice in Wonderland is way down at number thirty. Yep. Good. Followed that rabbit all the way to thirty. Middlemarch. Charlotte's Web. Yes, Middlemarch is on there, but it is not. It's in the top. It's at number twenty-seven. Okay. Charlotte's Web. A Charlotte's Web. You gotta be kidding me. Where is Charlotte's Web? Am I gonna have to do a find function? Sure. Char- <laughs> Charlotte's Web. 
is number 170. Ouch. That's kind of an insult. Anna Karenina obviously is better than War and Peace, so it must be in that top 13. Number 54. Oh, no. What is wrong with these people? Yeah, I don't think this bodes well for our debate. It seems like this is opposite day in the land Moby of the sane. Number 161. The road where all the pretty horses. The, uh, the road didn't even make it. Do we have some Cormac? No. Uh, let's see if there's even any McCarthy on here. No there's Cormac no McCarthy. McCarthy. Wow. Didn't crack the top okay. 200. Um, so is there, is there more? going to be in that top 10. Oh, yeah. Farewell to Earth. I can tell you right now that Hemingway does not make the top 10. Wow. What about... You guys have managed to guess the top two. <laughs> Dickens. Dickens. Is there more Dickens in the top 10? Dickens did not make the top 10. Our top... You want me to give you the 13 through 11? Yeah, do that. Yeah. It'll help us. Bird Song by Sebastian Fox. Boo Song by Sebastian Foe. <laughs> Okay. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte and Catch 22 by Joseph Heller. Those are all fair choices. Yeah. Uh, well, besides Birdsong. <sighs> all right. Um, so, number 10. So, we just need, need to name some more truly beloved novels. Uh, Grapes of Wrath. <sighs> no. Let me tell you if it's even on here. Oh, I know. Grapes uh, of Wrath is 29. You know. Ivanhoe? Great, great, Ga- great Gatsby. Of course. No. Oh, my goodness. Good for them. That's How num- impossible is this list to guess, though? Like That's it, number 43. Think of our book today, but think better. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, Bronte Jane, book. Bronte. Yeah, Jane, Jane Eyre. Bronte. What's Jane, Eyre. Jane Eyre. Yeah, number 10. Is that number three? No, that's, that's number, number 10. 10. Okay. So, I gave um, you that one. How many more slots of this are filled by books we've done on the bookening? Actually, let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Huck Finn. Nope. This way it comes. Huck. To kill, to kill Huck. a mockingbird. Yeah, Huck Finn oh, didn't course. even make the list. Ouch. It's, it's, got, it's blacklisted for yeah. use of the N-word. Yeah. To kill it's a mockingbird, May number six. Invisible Man? No. <laughs> Same reasons. The Invisible Man. <laughs> Dracula. Dracula's probably number three. Frankenstein. Frankenstein? Dracula made 104. Frankenstein made 171. Dune ah. by Frank Herbert made 39. Oh. Wow. This is the public. Well, I misled you guys earlier, so I will tell you that Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire made number five. Oh, you said weird. they were in a list of... All right. I That's so you. weird that that would be the one to break through. I know. I Goblet, realized, of fire? Goblet of Fire? I realized you guys yeah. weren't going to think to guess that, so it was because I had misled you. Sorry. Co- okay, I'll give you another clue. Oh. Con- controversial bookending episodes. Oh, CSS. Uh, Narnia. Yeah. Till we have faces? The lion, no. the lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe made number nine. Yeah, that makes sense. Winnie the okay, Pooh. So how many more sl- Yeah, and Win- Win- Winnie the Pooh made number seven. How many more slots do we have to guess so you get, here? You're, you're still missing three and four, and you're also and still are- missing number eight. Is there more mm-hmm. than one Jane Austen? And have we done those on the bookening as well? Yeah, uh, eight we have. And it would have to be a cold day in April before you would ever get number eight. Wrinkle in time. And all the... No, and all the clocks would have to be striking. Oh, 1984. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah, 1984. Right. It just leaves three and four. They're both... Number four is a comedy, and I think it must be really beloved in Britain. It gives the but answer. we've not done it? No, it gives the answer to life at the end. Oh, Hitchhiker's uh, Guide. Hitch- yeah, Hitchhiker's Hitch- Guide. Yeah. Uh, number three is probably... I've never read it, and I don't think we ever will. 
Uh, but he's related to C.S. Lewis, but he wrote, I think, because he didn't like C.S. Lewis. Oh, of course. Uh, what's his face? The fantasist guy, the atheist. His, his Dark Materials? Yeah, His Dark Materials. Yeah. That's number three. Well, the British public have bad teeth and make bad choices. <sighs> I guess you can't taste very well when you have bad what teeth What do you think like the that? American public would have done? Probably not much better. Number one, Twilight. Number two, Rick Riordan. Number three, Harry Potter. Yeah, it's 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 true. It's true. Top ten novels voted by Americans. I'm trying to find an equivalent. Um, it's impossible. Apparently, Terry Pratchett had 15 novels in the top 200. <laughs> they just had to remove him to. 14 was Jacqueline Wilson. I don't even know who she is. Oh, she was notable for children's literature. Okay. Wow. Never have I been sadder. Okay. I have the top 10 uh, best love novels by America right here. You guys want to guess them real quick? This is from a PBS poll. Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, Twilight, Fifty Shades. I've got zero. No. It's no, it's not that bad. Uh, Harry Potter, yes. Huck Finn. Hunger Games. I lost it for Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Harry Potter, yes. Huck Finn, no. Grapes of Wrath. Hunger Games, no. Grapes of Wrath, no. Of mice and men. I'm just gonna tell you number one is to kill a mockingbird. Okay. Of course. Good. Here, I'll tell you what the overlap is in terms of things we've already said. So, To Kill a Mockingbird, Harry Potter, Pride and Prejudice, Lord of the Rings, Charlotte's Web makes the top 10 in America. So, hooray for the red, white, and blue there. Good on us. Uh, There are three books that Brandon did not mention that appear in the American top 10. Number eight is a famous beloved family book we've reviewed it on our podcast but we did not review it little Little women Women. that was on there was that That was on brandon's list number six i don't believe brandon mentioned but maybe he did a very famous novel of the american experience not a great novel kind of trashy but fun made into the most successful movie of all time oh gone with the wind Gone with the Wind is correct. Titanic. And <laughs> you know that was my first thought. <laughs> yeah, Titanic, that great. That's what my brain novel. did. <laughs> but I've been in James Cameron mode for some dumb reason. So no, I, I come back to a, that. It's a but, fine thing to be. But okay, number two, you will never guess in a million years. But it is pure trash. It, it actually it not just lives down to Jake's view of what the American choices would be, it actually, whatever the opposite of exceeds it, it is worse. <coughs> it, it, is, it is not quite as bad as Fifty Shades, with, which Jake threw out as a junk answer. Twilight. But it, is, it is in that realm. I not Twilight. Twilight. No, it's not Twilight. It's relatively less no, well-known. I don't think I would know it, except for there's a pretty popular TV show, which I have never watched and never will, and neither have you guys, I assume. It's like a historical romance kind of thing. There's a whole series of books. This is number two. This is the second most popular literary thing after To Kill a Mockingbird in America. Really? Does it have to do with vampires? Nope. It's historical. It has to do with... with, It's like in the Scottish Moors, I think. It has to do with like a woman who's transported back in time. I mean, you guys would know it if you were ever... Outlander. Oh, yeah. No. What? Yeah, it's... Isn't that lame? (sighs) Yep. That's number two. 
Yeah. The, the <laughs> list is To Kill a Mockingbird, Outlander, Harry Potter, Pride and Prejudice, Lord of the Rings, Gone with the Wind, Charlotte's Web, Little Women, Chronicles of Narnia, and Jane Eyre. Speaking of Jane Eyre, we would be airing if we didn't give any more information on Daphne de Murier. Any more context that we need? Oh, Brian? I mean, I guess there's just, speaking of Jane Eyre, there's the gothic tradition that's behind this novel, but it's really taking a pulp, well, I don't want to say pulpy, ah, whatever. It's kind of taking a pulpy view of it. This is pop, this is like pop goth. Mm. If you, so if there's a whole tradition of gothic romance, but really that kind of tradition belongs, I think, in a Jane Eyre episode. You can go back and you can listen to what we say there about it, but this has all the vestiges of that, the mysterious house, the mysterious owner, some tragedy that's happened in the past that adds this aura of both mystery and transgression to the story. And so then you have the young heroine that's thrown into it and it's a dark world and everything just gets darker as everything unravels, but ends in a sort of peace with what has happened with the darkness still there. Mm -hmm. So basically, I mean, it basically is just a retelling of Jane Eyre. So. I have read some Anne Rad. Well, no, I've actually never read Anne Radcliffe, but I have read some Gothic novels. I, I would say there's two other things that this leans into that are pretty big tropes from the original Gothic novels, which are uh, number one, just this completely passive heroine who's just there to be put upon and to be kind of a, a female reader's identification, you know? Yeah. But, but, somebody who doesn't have a lot of agency in what happens in the story one way or another, maybe has some at the very end. That's pretty classic. Like that's the Anne Radcliffe mold. And then the fact that it creeps right up on being supernatural, but in point of fact, isn't supernatural. It, it may as well be supernatural. It feels pretty supernatural, but it's not ultimately like the mechanics of how it's resolved aren't supernatural. That's that's very gothic novel. Yeah. Some of the later gothic stuff, like Matthew Lewis with the monk, got into really overt occultism and supernatural stuff. But the classic gothic novels, like The Castle of Entranto or Anne Radcliffe, they always seem like they're going to be supernatural. But then at the end, it turns out that it's like the Scooby Doo. You know, there's always some some bad guy that's making it seem like there's supernatural stuff, or something pretty similar to what we have here, where you know. There's a malignant presence that so suffuses everything that it feels supernatural, but there's a non-supernatural explanation for anything that happens. There's my two cents. Well, I mean, I think that's pretty much all I had for context, guys. It's not a whole... I think we know enough to dive into the story, and we definitely know enough from her personal history to help us make sense of some of what's going on here and give us some meat to talk about. So, Yep. All right. Well, we'll, we will get into some of that chewy, chewy meat mm. next time. It'll fall right off the bone of our next episode. Is chewy meat something that sounds good? No. No. So like I beef was, jerky is kind of chewy. I was recently, I was in Texas last week for my aunt who has had cancer for a while, passed away. And so we went down to her funeral and. There's a cat that my grandparents have named Tripod. It only has three feet and found out the story behind why it's called Tripod. Apparently, when it fa first came to their house, its foot was all uh, chewed up by something. And so, they decided to put some medicine on it and then wrap it in this gauze 
And then my mom came up to visit my grandparents one a couple weeks after this happened. And they were still like, well, we should take, the, you know, my granddad's like, yeah, we should take that off now. And so she went to unwrap the gauze and all the skin and everything came off. And there was just this little cat skeleton arm where the gauze had been. And so it hopped around on that for a while until that fell off. And now it's just got three legs. <laughs> That's such a beautiful story. <laughs> I'm so glad we could share that with our listeners. <laughs> Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> wow. You, you, you got it back, Brandon. That's like the opposite of saying Queen Elizabeth was born in 1403 or whatever it was. That you yeah. got wrong that one time. Yep. A cat with a little skeleton oh arm is is adorable. What better way to lead into the Halloween months than with that story? Yeah, man. For all my attempts to make this into a full-time Halloween story uh, podcast, that is the most Halloween thing that's ever happened. Yep. But it was also adorable. It put the awe in gauze. Uh, uh. Gauze. Wow. Well, that was a great moment in podcasting. I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, (laughs) And I'll tell you what else I enjoy is calling out our listeners. But you were going to say no. calling them all one by one. We should <laughs> calling out our listeners makes me makes it sound like I'm going to say our listeners suck. What I meant was, what is the thing that I'm trying to get to here? You Somebody shout them out. Yeah, you shout them Shep- out. Shouting out our patrons. Let me just pull them up the list of patrons. Man, where is it? There we go. All right, guys. I would like you to say where. On their body, this person should be wrapped in gauze. <laughs> okay. We've got Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Their pinky finger. Nice. We got the artful Anthony Dodger. His ring finger. We got little Anthony's cigar store. Middle finger. A little inappropriate there. The immortal Chelsea E. Pointer finger. Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Thumb. Lily of the Valley. Left-hand thumb. Those were all right-hand fingers. Okay, good to know. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. Left-hand thumb, uh, pointer finger. The Keith Master. Left-hand middle finger. <laughs> Davis Mighty Men Trekking. Left-hand ring finger. John and Jill and little baby Max. Left, left-hand thumb. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese, and also C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Jawbone. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Skull. Just gonna wrap up that skull in cause. <laughs> Console Prime Adam. Neck. Nathan, not me. Uh, right forearm. Ryan, the Red Avenger, and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Left forearm. DJ Sammy G. Right upper arm. Benny and Danny to Dana Tiberius. Left upper arm. Eric and Catherine from Yon Window Breaks. Shoulders. Professor and Lady X. Ribcage. Lavender's green, lavender's blue, lavender's green, Dylan. Dylan. I love you too. I know. Guys, we have a new five-star review. Hey, awesome! Yeah, the subject is Nathan. Please stop saying litigate so much. The substance is enjoy the show. Five stars, Nate the Great. Nice. Thank you, Nate the Great. Now let's litigate how we feel about that review. <laughs> Do I really say litigate? 
You so do. much. You do say it quite you, a bit. It's fine. Yes. It's fun. It's do you guys have an alternate? I'll, I'll be like Grand Moff Tarkin here. If there's an alternate, well, I can't remember the line now. I was going to do a Grand Moff Tarkin thing, but I'm not. If someone has an opposite word for litigate, please email it to the booking at indiana.gov and I will read all of those. Thanks, Nate the Great. Yeah, you're great, Nate. You are great, Nate. That's awesome. The fair figure maiden, Chloe. Pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, who is cold and hates life, liberty in the pursuit of cheese. Uh, right upper leg. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu Jeffrey, the Texas Ranger. Left upper leg. Midnight Ninja Ellen. Right knee. Return of the Jedediah. Left knee. Jay Breck and Ruin. Right lower leg. Timothy, the writer at dawn. Left lower leg. Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, who are warm and love bees. Right foot. Maddie, Maddie, Matt, man. Left foot. Sweet Jamie Sunshine. Left pinky toe. Tyler, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, and Laura, the Keeper of Eternal Light. I don't know the names of the toes. Cold Steel Cody. A toe. Jacqueline, the Librarian Barbarian. <laughs> Another toe. <laughs> John Bombadillo, Bomb Diggity, and Captain Daniel, his mate. Another toe. Saxophone Alex. I think that gets us to a big toe. Second dairy saxophone Alex and dubstep Danny. Another big toe. Ryan the Terror of Texas and Eric of the Cream and Crimson, who no longer are stuck in the cold, but please send cheese, why not? A toe. Ben Solo and Kyla Wren. Another toe. John the Cosmic King of Chaos. Another toe. Matthew the Mind Flayer. Another toe. And are you okay? Get your gun. A little toe. Flight of the Valerie. Those are all the parts of the body. We have no body left. Thor Ragnajosh. Somebody else's toe. <laughs> <laughs> Steven dot dot dot. Somebody else's thumb. <laughs> the part of your body that you should wrap in gauze is somebody else's. <laughs> Isn't it fun that I'm sanctimoniously acting like this premise is good and <laughs> it should be honored. <laughs> Piglodon. Somebody else's right knee. <laughs> oh boy, Brandon, really ruining the premise here. Christopher the Flower Hulk. <laughs> Somebody else's left, <laughs> left knee. Lady <laughs> of the Crystal Lake. Oh man, somebody else's rib cage. <laughs> Ian the Deathamirian Lord of Death. Somebody else's pelvis. A man in possession of an Emily is in want of nothing. Somebody else's mandible <laughs> jaw. <laughs> Somebody else's mandible jaw. Emily Nightshade, the haunter of dreams. I don't think I ever said ear. Ear. Right ear. All about the all about the Benjamins. Left baby? ear. The mysterious phantom, of course. Nose. <laughs> Nose goes. And I don't think I said them earlier did i did i say jeremy the dark hood lord of death no you definitely did not say maya maya uh, oh man she needs uh, she needs a title now body. like yep wrap your whole body in gauze my be mummified be mummified eat drink and be mummified Mummies are cool. I like mummies. Is that mummies lame? Don't. Mummies are the best. Don't I like mummies? We had a whole conversation about how mummies are the lamest of all Halloween. They are, but 
I have a soft spot for them. I was actually scared of them when I was a kid, so which is more than I can say for much cooler monsters like Draculas and Frankensteins. So yeah. I don't know. We can litigate mummies later. Yep. When Nate the Great's not listening. <sighs> okay. We'll be back with Rebecca part two. We will dig into that chewy, chewy meat. So bring your meat digging shovels and your chewy chompers, folks. <laughs> bring some gauze. I'll bring the salt around. and Nathan will bring the pet. <laughs> yeah. Meat digging shovel. Yep. Bring oh your my. meat digging shovel. Can that be our t-shirt? <laughs> Us just standing there with a meat digging shovel, blood just dripping off it. Yeah, no, I think there's like a big carcass, like of a buffalo or something yeah. that one eats, and then we each are jabbing <laughs> our meat digging shovels into yeah. a very large spoon. Yeah, yeah, it hurts worse, you twit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh man, and speaking of twits. Some people are still listening to this. <laughs> no, no, no. In fact, I'm going to tell the person who's still listening to this, Brandon's bank account number. There we go. One, two, three, four, five. That's it. <laughs> Brandon's password? Password. Password. Yep. yep. <laughs> the bank begged him not to do it, but he did it. I didn't listen. He, you know, Brandon didn't listen. He forges his own path forward. All right, come back with your chewy chompers. Come back with your and you can uh, forge his checks. And you can forge Brandon's checks. Yeah, nicely done, Jake. That was a little pep. Even Mister Salt can bring a little pep every once in a while. And uh, Mister Sub brought a lot of sub today. And uh, yeah, go to Patreon.com forward slash the booketing for even more salt, even more pep, and even more sub. You're going to need like three. You're going to need an industrial-sized meat shovel for that Patreon because there's <laughs> a lot of meat for you to be chewing on. Mm, with your chewy chompers. With your chewy chompers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Bye, bookiners. 